Hey, this is the River Tree Canal Fulton podcast. We are sharing our fourth and final week of our homecoming series as we celebrate and remember God's faithfulness to us for our first 10 years as a church. So excited to have so many amazing people joining us these days and uh, was blessed to have Thayer Wallace. You can catch his worship leading and his update on what's happening in Portsmouth on our video feed at our website. But man, here's the audio from our final sermon. We'd love for you to join in as we start talking about what's next in our Multiply campaign and just the future of our church. Where are we headed for the next decade? Well, um, jump in with us. Come this coming Sunday and follow us along here as we start talking about what is to come and how we can be a people of faith leaning in that direction. But here's the fourth and final sermon of Homecoming. Our scripture for today comes from 1 Peter, and I'm going to go ahead and read this uh, to you. It's in chapter 2. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of God. So um, I'm going to be real honest with you. I hadn't gotten to preach here for a few weeks, so I got a lot of preaching pent up in me. And uh, we also don't have as much time because we've had a lot of things happening today, so I'm feeling a little crisis right now. So uh, I'm really excited. I hope this homecoming series has been good for you, encouraging to you. Some of you don't know River Tree Canal Fulton's story. I'm going to be honest, as a person who stepped into it two years ago, I'm still learning our story. Uh, The preacher, that's what I call my mentor in Kentucky, uh, he used to always say that when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know that he had help getting there. Um, this church is a turtle on a fence post. Like, we really are. If you look at this church and, and what we've done and what we've seen over the past 10 years, I hope that you realize that some of these things don't just happen. That God is at work in a way that uh, when we tell our story, when we tell the story of God's faithfulness, it becomes evident that uh, that we had some help getting where we're getting, that this doesn't just happen, but God is up to something. Uh, it's the way that the people uh, of God, their entire story has always been. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that I love about the church is that at our core, we are just a people who have been placed in the world to tell the story of God in our place in it, that we are, um, we're storytellers. The homecoming series is we've had Al here, we had... Corey, we had Daniel, we have Thayer, 
we're just reminded that God is telling a story of his redeeming love that we have tasted and seen and are a part of, and that is not done. And there's these wonderful ways that God reminds us and allows us to tell stories to recall and remember his faithfulness. Matter of fact, uh, I love that this church has stories of faithful people, but that the primary story of our church is not of any one person or one family's faithfulness, but it is of the faithfulness of God. As we just sang, all our life he has been faithful. Paul told Timothy, even when we're faithless, God is faithful. There's a truth that we stand on in that. That's so amazing and important. In the Old Testament, um, they actually would set up stones uh, as memorials of significant events. There's a lot of stories. We're going to actually walk through some of those today. That they would set up, kind of like setting up a turtle on a fence post, in specific places. So where when people saw it, they would say, well, that's weird. That shouldn't be. No turtle just ends up on a fence post. This pile of rocks, this specific place or marker, well, it tells a story. What is it? Um, this was a regular practice of marking the events and happenings in the life of a community. And God's people have these in stories um, that regularly remind the people to remember. Uh, matter of fact, if there's a consistent theme that the people of God are storytellers, another consistent theme is that the people of God forget their story a lot. And so this idea of God calling the people to remember and even asking them to set up memorials so that time and time again we would tell the story of God afresh is a pretty amazing thing. So here's some examples. Uh, one, Jacob. Uh, in Genesis 28, Jacob, uh, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, um, he leaves and he goes and he takes a nap on a rock, which I guess is what the most comfortable place to take a nap in those days. Uh, and he has this dream. And in this dream, there's a stairway to heaven, not the song. Uh, although maybe, who knows? Uh, that would probably have really freaked him out. But there's a, he has this vision of a stairway to heaven. And there's angels coming down. There's angels going up. And God renews these promises to him. Promises that he's heard before because God made them to Abraham. Where he says, I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Your descendants are going to be as numerous. He, he uses the image of like just as, as dust just goes everywhere, so your descendants are going to go everywhere. And I've got this land for you that you're, you're on and I'm going to give it to you. And that when you rest your body at the end of your life, you will rest in this land as yours. It will be yours. He makes these promises. So he wakes up from this dream. We see here in, in uh, Genesis 28, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took a stone that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. This was a way of setting it apart. And he called that place Bethel, which the word Bethel literally means house of God. Uh, though the city used to be called loose. So here we see Jacob has this experience where the promises of God and the presence of God are so real that he says something amazing has happened here and he sets up a memorial. You know, part of the story that we get to tell is the times where uh, we have had unique encounters 
with God. And I want to ask the question and just let you kind of fill in some of these blanks. But first, like, where are the places that you've uniquely met God in your life? I mean, think about your story with God. Some of these places, uh, I've heard people use the term like a mountaintop experience. Uh, the Celtics in their faith used to say the thin places where it seemed like God's presence and heaven and earth were, the barrier between them was so thin that you could almost sense the true reality of God's presence. You have those stories, those places. I know I've got a few in my life. It's gonna sound weird. Uh, there's an upstairs room at my parents' house, which is the place where God first, I feel like, really met me. He met me in a low place where I was depressed and um, just in one of the lowest places in my life. And I felt like uh, when I think of that place, I think of how God met me in that low place. And he gave me rest and he forgave me. It's a place of surrender for me, a place where I yielded myself to God for the first time, where I really just said, God, if, if you're real, then I give you my whole life. That's a thin place for me. There's a, a lobby at a cabin at a camp in uh, western Kentucky. It's the first place where I ever sensed that the Lord was calling me to truly like teach his word to people because I got caught up in talking about the Bible and I found myself in a place where God's presence and call became really crystal clear through that process. And, and every time I go back there, I can remember God uniquely did something. Like Jacob, maybe there's places in your life where if you were to tell the story of God's faithfulness, there are places you could take people and say, this was the place where God did this, where God showed me his presence, his power, his promise. That's a part of our story. Um, I want to encourage you, and I'm, I'm going to do this throughout this. If you have those places and the people around you don't know, part of what I, I would suggest God's uh, simple plan for your life would be is to start telling the story of those places and what God did there. Because we are a people who are constantly remembering God's faithfulness, even just to show up. There's another story, a little bit later in the story of Israel. The people of God had been wandering the desert for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness. Moses died and Joshua took over as the leader of Israel and he is leading them into the land of promise and they get to the Jordan and they have to cross it. And so God gives them instructions. He says, I want you to get the priest to pick up the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence, and I want them to step into the waters of the Jordan and the Jordan will part before you just like the Red Sea did for the generation before you. That God is gonna show that he's with you in a way by doing a miraculous thing. And sure enough, they do that. They step into the water and the Jordan parts and they walk across on dry land. And in Joshua 4, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan right where the priests stood to carry them over with you and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God tells him to pick up stones out of the dry bed of the river and to go set up a turtle on a fence post. To set up a marker that when future generations would see it, they would be like, that's weird. That shouldn't be like that. What's, what's the story here? And it would give the people the opportunity to recall and remember and retell the story of God's faithfulness, where God did something that only God could do. What are the stories you can tell of God's miraculous power in your life? Like, what are the stories that you can tell where God did something that only God can do? I ask because those stories are stories that are not just for you, but for their for the generations around you and beyond you to hear and know that God has been faithful. Throughout this series, as we've been telling the story of our church, we're not just telling the story of a church, we're telling the story of God's faithfulness to a people who trusted him and took steps of faith to follow him. And just like Paul said to Timothy, even when we were faithless, God was faithful. But as we made faithful steps, as we waded into the Jordan, following God's presence forward, we have seen God do miraculous things. And we've heard those stories over the past couple weeks. And I can think of them in my own life. Like, there's places I can go. Like, right in the middle of LSU's campus, there's a clock tower. When I was in college, there was a group of us that met there and prayed every Monday night. And as we prayed and sought the Lord, people would show up who didn't know Jesus, and they would come to faith. And we didn't invite them. We didn't ask them. People would just show up. There are times where people would show up, and they would want prayer for healing, and we would pray, and people would be healed. And I can go to that clock tower, and I can show you the steps where we laid hands on people and people were healed of sicknesses. There's places in Kentucky where I can take you, where I saw marriages restored, where I saw people delivered from addiction and sin, where I saw incredible things happen. I can take you to places here. I can take you downtown to the speakeasy, to a place that should not exist outside of the faithfulness of God to provide because he loves not our church. He loves this city enough to create a space where we can be a presence here. When they are mentioned, 2020 was a turbulent time, and many of you know this story. We were on the brink of not existing. The fact that we can sit in this building, we've got this huge rock in front of us, it's a memorial. God has done miraculous things. And you have stories of God's miraculous power that are worth telling, worth remembering. Another point in the story of Israel. Israel had the ark that represented God's covenant, God's presence to them, and they lost it to the Philistines. They were defeated and they were downcast. And so they repented of their sin. They repented of their idolatry. They, all of the ways that they had rebelled from God, they left behind and they came back to, and they said, God, will you lead us forward again? Uh, and in 1 Samuel, we have a story where um, the people assemble and they are attacked and they tell Samuel the prophet, they say, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he might rescue us 
from the hands of our enemy. So Samuel sacrifices. And as he is sacrificing before God, the enemy draws near and says, that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw into them such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. And they rushed out and pursued them and they won a victory there. And then Samuel took a stone, it says in 1 Samuel 7, he took a stone and he set it up between these two cities of Mitzpah and Shin. And he named the stone Ebenezer saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Another thing I want to ask you, do you have times and places in your life where an area of defeat or loss had become an area of victory or praise? Where God took a desperate thing or a horrible thing or a hard thing and he turned it into something good and glorious and praiseworthy. Because part of the story of the people of God is that God is a God who works all things for the good. And I know, I know this in my own life. I know in the ways that I needed forgiveness, that I found cleansing in God. I know the ways that I needed rescue out of depression, out of low place, that I have found joy and freedom in Jesus. I know that many of you know that God doesn't just forgive sin, but he breaks the power of it over us so that we can leave one way of living and enter into a new way, that like the, like the waters of baptism, that there's a, de- a dying that happens in Jesus where we are, are set free from the past and we can walk in a way that is undeniably a miracle. And I want you to remember this because there's miracles that are a part of your story and sometimes we forget how miraculous they are. That Jesus loved you and found you and cleansed you and forgived you and liberated you and he's still doing it. And it's a miracle and there's parts in our own life and even in the story of our church where we can look around and we can say what the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good. Things that we thought were irredeemable, God has taken and he has used them to bring glory, to bring goodness, to make himself known. This is a part of the story of the people of God. And in this story, he says, we're gonna set up a rock here to remember that God has taken a horrible thing and then he has helped us beyond. Like that he has brought victory and he has carried us this far. It's the story of the people of God. That God is the God who takes us and he carries us into a future that only he can provide. I bring all this up because remembering what God has done will give us courage for the next steps ahead of us. Um, there's actually like a $5, um, this is your $5 theological word for the day. You ready? You can write this down. You can be impressive to the two people in your life who actually care about $5 words. The word is uh, anamnesis. It's a Greek word. It, it, it's about remembering, but it's not just remembering. It's actually remembrance that brings the past into the present. So it's not just like reminiscing about what was. Instead, it is the practice of remembering because what happened in the past is needed in the present. This is a different kind of remembrance, but this is the remembrance at the core of the church in our storytelling, that we don't tell stories of God's faithfulness simply to be like, oh man, wasn't God great in the past? We tell those stories because the way that God has been faithful in the past speaks to the moments that we are in. 
And just like Jacob set up a rock at Bethel so that he could remember that God's nearness and presence and promise was something that he needed, he would need that for the future, not just for that moment. So that when he remembered, he not only remembered God's presence, but the promise that came with it that carried a future with it. That Joshua and the tribe of Israel, they brought the stones out of the riverbed, not just to remember, oh, remember that amazing thing that God did, but because there would be steps of faith moving into the promised land that they would need to know that God was able to do the miraculous because they would face things where if God didn't do it, they were doomed. They needed to remember the past and bring it into the present. The people of Israel in 1 Samuel, they needed to know that God had carried them past enemies before because they would face enemies ahead. That there were opportunities that they would face where they would need the faith that God, the God who had delivered them, could deliver them still. We need to remember, not just to reminisce, not to be nostalgic, but because every way that God has been faithful in the past will speak to the moments where we bank on his faithfulness in the future. And this is where I think Peter's words in chapter two of his letter are so amazing. Uh, First, that he highlights that Jesus is the living stone. He says, as as you come to him, the living stone. This This has got like two layers. One, he's highlighting that Jesus is unlike every other idol, which is an empty stone carved in the image of gods that don't work. Um, that Jesus is the only God that works and he is the God who is at work for us. That Jesus is this, but he's also like the stone is this memorial picture of God, the God who did something. Jesus is the God who did something. That on the cross, God did something for us by sending his son. That at the point where we needed hope, that we needed rescue, that we needed redemption, that we needed cleansing, that we needed liberation, that we needed restoration, that we needed a world that looks less broken and more whole. This is where Jesus came to give himself to us. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus isn't just the Jesus of the past. The Jesus of the past is the Jesus of the present. That when we come to him, we're not just remembering something that Jesus did once because Jesus isn't a past agent. He is a present agent. He is living and alive and at work in the world. A church that is hinging itself on the faithfulness of God needs a God who can do something. And Peter says, you need to remember the living stone, the one who is at work in the world now. He says, as you come to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, Peter says, as we come to the living stone, we're being made, we become living stones. Like, we become a memorial of the activity of God. And this is beautiful because even as we remember 10 years of God's faithfulness to us so far, the Remarkable work is not, it's not a stone, it's not a building, it's not someplace. It is you, the place where God has literally done amazing things. That the people of God are designed, that you are the stones in our community. You are the living reminders of God's presence, God's power, God's redeeming grace. That Jesus is this living stone and that you become a living stone. You become a memorial in a place where the activity of God is seen in the world. You're the one that people should look at like a turtle on a fence post and say, how is this even possible? 
How is it possible that you are living the way that you live? The fruit of your life, like what is that? How do you have love or joy or peace or patience? Like how do you have those things? And we become the living evidence that God is alive and active doing amazing things. We are God's memorials where we live and work and play. Walking around as evidence. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are the church that tells the story of what God has done. And we're not just remembering what he has done in the past because he's actively doing it. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter keeps telling them, remember the living stone, Jesus Christ. There, if you want to come up, we're going to move to communion in a minute. Like This is the testimony of the church. Not just that God has done something, but the God who has done amazing things is with us and for us and is here to do amazing things now. He's the one that we confess, not just as the one who acted on our behalf thousands of years ago, but the one who's still acting on our behalf and who, who, when he calls me to step out in faith, that when I remember what he's done, it speaks to the moment I'm in right now. It tells me who I am. It tells me my, the promises that I stand on. It tells me that the future that I'm running into, that remembering brings focus to me to then be the people of God in the moment we're in. So I think it's amazing that in the moment we're in as a church, we can remember the living stone, Jesus Christ. When Jesus sat with his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me, the word there is our $5 word, amnesis. It's not just, hey, don't forget, I, I died for you. It's that the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it speaks to your moment now. And if you forget what he has done, you'll forget who you are now and what it means to be faithful in the moment. More than that, you'll forget that he is faithful in the moment. And what you need to build your future on, your next steps on, is not your faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. So remember. This is why the church every week lifts up the bread and takes the cup and says, do this in remembrance of him because this tells us who we are and that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. But he's the God who doesn't offer you a memory. He offers you himself. He's the living stone. And whether it is you need to repent of sin. You need to walk out of some ways of living and say, I need to walk in a new way. How do I do that? It's not your faithfulness. It's Jesus' faithfulness. It is him giving you his life, him being the bread that sustains you and the cup that holds you up, him cleansing you of your sin, him breaking the power of sin. That's what you need now. You don't need to remember your faithfulness. You remember God's because God speaks to now. It speaks to this moment. Maybe it's a step of faith where you're like, hey, we've never, we've never seen this future before. Our family, we're in a place where we're, we don't know what to do, but we know that God might be calling us to a step of faith we've never made. I would just say, you need to remember Jesus Christ, the living stone. You need to remember that he's the one who holds your future and has secured it through what he's already done. Or maybe you're here and you're just like, I, I don't know any of this. I don't know any of these stories then hear the story of our church. 
that God is the one who found us when we most needed him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he has given us life here and forever that strengthens us and enables us to live in a way that's like a turtle on a fence post. It doesn't make sense outside of the fact that God is real, present, powerful, and willing to meet all of us who will come in faith. So if you have your communion elements, let's take them. And I just want to create a little bit of space for reflection to really ask you, when you think about the moments where God has met you, whether it's a place where God met you like Jacob, where you were like, I don't know, that was God. I just know it was God. It was a place, it's undeniable. Whether you think of the miracles that you've seen, whether you think of the victories that he has won for you, as you remember, let's make just a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, what do we need to hear about what you've done that speaks to the moments where we are right now? Speaks to my heart, speaks to my motives, speaks to my circumstances. speaks to my relationships. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us remember. Remember well. As we come to the table of the Lord, we remember that Jesus doesn't just give us stories, he gives us himself. And so if you have those elements and you're coming to remember, I want you to go ahead and get the bread and the cup ready. On that night, he took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take this and do this in remembrance of me. So take the bread and eat in remembrance of Christ. He also took a cup. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Let us remember and drink. Lord, we, um, we bless your name. We thank you that you're the God who has carried us this far. You're our Ebenezer. That you're the God who has done miraculous things. That we can look to the cross and see your redeeming power and love. And Lord, honestly, I, I thank you. You're the God who we don't have to just think about in the past, but who meets us in the present. And even now offers us grace. Lord, help us to live as a people who have been delivered from darkness and are living in the wonderful, marvelous light of Jesus. And help us as a church, as we recall your faithfulness, to draw from that memory courage for what is next. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.